to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we continue our study today in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're getting a very good look at the inside workings of a church that had lost its focus. And what we've been studying the first four chapters so far in 1 Corinthians is Paul's attempt at dealing with this church's problems and trying to get this church that was badly off track back onto track again. Now, in today's study, uh, Paul comes to these people in Corinth as a stern father. And remember, Paul is the one who founded this church. The time period that we're talking about is about four or five years after the church was founded. And there were various problems that had cropped up in the church, and these things were near to destroying this work that Paul had founded. Now, one thing we need to remember, this was not Paul's church. It was Christ's church. And any church that walks away from the Lord and has these kinds of problems and does not heed God's call to repentance, God can take his hand off of that church. And what God has not done, he hasn't promised any particular church that it will continue forever. And so if a church decides that it's not going to heed God's call of repentance, then his hand can be taken from it. Well, in today's message, we're going to examine Paul's method of dealing with this church as he approaches the church as a stern father. And I'm not using the word father there like the Roman Catholic Church uses the word father, but I'm talking about that Paul was their spiritual mentor. He's the one who gave them the gospel. These people were saved under his ministry. He wrote and and said that he was the wise master builder in chapter 3. He said, I have laid the foundation of this work in Corinth. And so who was better to deal with these problems? Who better suited to deal with Corinthian problems than the Apostle Paul? So we're going to look at his approach today as he comes to this church as a spiritual father. We're going to begin reading here today in verse number 14 of chapter 4. If you please stand with me for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. You may remember in the sermon last week, we talked about how Paul had to come to them with words of sarcasm as he was sticking a pen in puffed up prideful people. But he says, I haven't written these things to shame you. Verse 15, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. We just ask you that you would guide our words, speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to learn something from the word today as we consider that we are all ministers in this church. And Lord, we want to be faithful ministers of yours. Bless in this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
I've titled my message today, Pastoral Tidbits for Aspiring Ministers. What we're going to do today is look at Paul's pastoral approach to these people, and we're going to broaden the scope of what Paul says here to include all the members of Berean Baptist Church. Now, remember, I've told you before that it's not just uh, uh, the pastor who's the minister of the church. It's not just a person who stands up behind a pulpit here who is the church's minister. But every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ, all of you, you have been called to be ministers of the Lord. Minister simply means a servant. And that's what we are. All of us are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul's approach to this church is that of a father. And in verse number 14, he calls the Corinthian people his beloved sons. And so he comes now to them with fatherly advice. Well, if we're going to follow Paul's approach to this ministerial problem in the church at Corinth, I believe the first thing that we have to do, we must do like Paul. We must get into the ministry of encouragement. This is what Paul is doing. He's encouraging these people. Now, if you remember in last week's message, uh, Paul had to attack this, this feeling of arrogance that the people had. They were puffed up. They'd become prideful people. And what actually had happened is these people had been given many spiritual gifts by God, and they looked at those gifts and thought about them as their own accomplishments. And so they started to put those spiritual gifts above one another, and they were very prideful because of the gifts that they had been given. And so Paul had to come along to them, and he burst their bubble, and in doing so, he he really gave them some biting sarcasm. You know, I could imagine that when this pastor of the church at Corinth got up and he began to read Paul's letter, that he stood up there with his great oratory skills, and that's what they were famous for and what they were so proud of, the great oratory skills that they had. And I can just imagine the pastor of this church getting up and elongating his words as he says, Brethren, we are gathered together today and we're going to read the words of the great apostle Paul that he has for us in his sermon today. And as he began to read this message from Paul, as he read this letter to the people, I think he started to get a little bit red in the face because what Paul was doing here, he was walking up and down their spines, stepping on every vertebra as he went, stepping on their toes. But as he comes to them, he says, uh, and he comes and he sticks that pin of sarcasm into them to, to, to just take down that puffed up ego. It would have been so easy for Paul just to come and lay the hammer down, tell these people that you are wicked sinners, you're vile, you're despicable, you are against God, you're dirty, rotten sinners, and just leave these people in the dust of despair. But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he comes to them in his purpose, and he says, I am not writing this merely to shame you. My purpose is to warn you. And the word warn there actually means to admonish. It means to encourage someone. And so Paul was not here just to step on the necks of these Christians who had done wrongly, but he had a desire for them to turn around and do what Christ wanted them to do. Now, here is a problem that we see in so many repressive ministries today. I once knew a pastor when I was back in Kentucky that he was not a gentle father to his pastorate. 
He wasn't a gentle father to his people. He was a very stern disciplinarian. And he wanted to make sure that everybody knew exactly who he was. He, 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 he made the people afraid of him by his actions. He wasn't a gentle father. And he wanted people to feel like dirt under his feet. Well, this is true that we are undeserving of anything that God has given us. There's nothing that we deserve. We don't deserve mercy, not grace from God. We were rightly on our way to hell. We, we were uh, justly condemned and should be punished. But what did God do? He sent Jesus Christ, his son, into the world. And those who believe on him, he saved. And then he made us worthy. And so when I get up to preach and when you fall and when there are problems in your lives, I don't want you to remain in failure, but I want to come to you as a person uh, that's made a mistake. I want to correct that. I want to encourage you. I want you to get right back up and start living for the Lord again. And that's because the devil likes nothing better than to whisper in Christians' ears who've made a mistake, they've fallen, they've done something wrong, and the devil wants you to think that you can't be used by God any longer. The devil wants to keep you down, and he doesn't want you to come back to God and be a part of the Lord's church again. But this is not Paul's approach. Now, my advice and Paul's advice is to encourage the fallen. We're to lift up the weak. And Paul doesn't want them to straighten up merely because of shame or out of an obligation. And certainly they had much in this church to be ashamed of. We'll see it as we go through the book. But Paul wanted them to come back in willingness and gladness to serve Christ rightly. Now, one thing I will say about Paul, though, he wasn't a liberal pandering preacher. He was a man who held people accountable for what they did. He told these Corinthian people, you are accountable for your actions. And so if you've done wrongly, you do need to turn back to God. You do need to repent of your sins. You do need to get right. And that's the way Paul approached them. And there were times when Paul was not afraid to get into somebody's face and tell them exactly what he thought. He had to do that with the apostle Peter once. Peter was wrong on a doctrinal issue. And Paul said, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now, let me give you a personal application about this. Don't be afraid to administer tough love. If you are a Christian and you're a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ and you see people that do things wrongly, don't be afraid to go to that person and try to help them correct the problem that they have. The minister who gains the most respect is the one who comes to people and is not afraid to tell it like it is. And we have too many ministers in pulpits today who are simply afraid to talk about sin and talk about what people do wrong. They don't want to stand up and give the truth. But sometimes you do have to do this. You just have to get down and you have to administer some tough love. Well, the point here is that a wise minister knows when he has expended all of his options and he does have to administer that tough love. And there are times when a minister has to get up in the pulpit and he must preach and call down the wrath of God on people, so to speak. But I don't think that's a minister's first option. I don't think it's the first thing that we do. The first thing that we do is we come to people and we appeal with with encouragement. And if you aspire to the right kind of ministry, you will be a minister who wants to encourage people. Don't be tearing people down all the time. Encourage people with your words. 
Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Well, as Paul goes along here, he passes on some more good pastoral advice and some tidbits. Number two here, I think that we should do this, and that's to get into the ministry of reproduction. Now, thank the Lord, there's some of you young couples in the church that you have gotten into the ministry of reproduction. I would like nothing better than to see our our nursery filled once again. So we thank you for that. Reproduction is a good thing. But that's not the kind of reproduction we're talking about here. I want you to look at verse number 15. He says, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul called himself a father because he's the one who brought them the gospel to Christ. Now, Paul, wherever he went in preaching the gospel of Christ, he was interested in making spiritual babies. He wanted to reproduce himself, uh, have other Christians, have other people come to know Jesus as Savior. Now, this is what God wants for all of us. He wants us as Christian people to reproduce ourselves. Now, in this church, we have been given a great commission. We've been given a primary commission, and that's to give the gospel to people who don't know Christ. It's a responsibility. Now, I want you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 5, if you would. Mark, chapter 5. And Mark 5 tells us the story. You're probably very familiar with this. It's about the lunatic, maniacal man who was demon-possessed. And here was a man who, who wasn't possessed with just one demon... But there were a legion of demons in him. That means there could have been as many as 6,000 demons that possessed this one man. These demons had infested his body so that he became, became crazy. He sat in the cemetery, cutting himself with stones. He lived in the mountains and the people were afraid of him. He was just a crazy person because of all these demons. And if you remember, this is the very same man that Jesus cast all of those demons out into a herd of pigs that were feeding nearby. And you remember what happened? When Jesus cast these demons into those pigs, the pigs came running down the hill and they did a perfect swine dive right into the ocean. I mean, that was the worst mess of deviled ham you'd ever seen before. And so all these, these, these pigs, they killed themselves there in the water. Well, after Jesus cast the demons out, that man became, he was saved and he began to follow Jesus. And he was so anxious to follow him that when Jesus and the disciples were ready to leave, they got in the boat and they were going to sail away. And this man wanted to climb in the boat with Jesus and the disciples. But Jesus had a better idea for him. Let's look at verse number 18 in Mark chapter 5. And when he was come into the ship, that's talking about Jesus. When Jesus came into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, or Jesus wouldn't allow it, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things... Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. This man was like a lot of Christians. He thought that it was best that he just come and sit in the boat with Jesus. Just be with Jesus, 
Just follow Jesus around, go where Jesus went, and I'll be content to be a follower of Jesus that way. But Jesus has other things in mind. You know, there are many church members who are content to come into the church, into a service like this, and we sit here on Sunday morning, and we're very happy to be right here in the boat with Jesus. But Jesus has a better idea for every one of us. He wants us to be out there giving the gospel to other people. Now, notice what Jesus says to him. He says, go home to your friends, and you tell them what great things I have done for you. You know, we notice a lot of times in many Christians' lives, they say, well, you know, I don't think that I can do that. I don't think that I know how to do that. I've never been to a soul-winning class. I've never been to a seminary. So how am I going to tell people about Jesus? Well, we notice this man here. I mean, at one moment, he was sitting in the tombs, cutting himself with stones. And in the next minute, Jesus says to him, go and tell other people these great things that have happened to you. So here's the thing about it. You don't have to have a soul-winning class, and you don't have to go to a seminary in order to tell people about Jesus. The very best way that you can win people to Christ is simply tell people what happened to you. If you know how to be saved, then you know how to tell other people how to be saved. You just tell them what happened to you. So you don't need three degrees behind your name. Don't worry about that. Just simply tell others and go out there and reproduce yourself. Well, here's the application for it. Go out and give birth. That's what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to go out and give birth to spiritual babies. Anybody here have a special attraction to your kids? Do you? I have a special attraction to my kids. I mean, I like my kids better than I like your kids, quite frankly. I have a special attraction to them. Do your kids have a special attraction to you? Of course they do, don't they? I mean, you ever try to take a baby away from his mom and he doesn't want to go? They click, the kids cling, you know, that they have a special attraction. Well, the same thing happens when you become a spiritual father to someone. That person that you win to the Lord will always have a special spiritual attraction to you. There'll be a love, there's love there, there's a bond that exists between the one who gives the gospel and the one who receives it. Now, Paul remarks here in verse number 15, he says, I know that you are going to have many instructors in Christ. Through the years, there would be many people who had come through the city of Corinth. They have pastors in the churches. They would have other uh, disciples there, teachers who would come, and they would show them more perfectly the things of Christ. They would explain things in perhaps greater detail. They would be able to learn from many instructors. Paul said, you're going to have many of those. But Paul said, I am the one who laid the foundation. I'm the one who gave you the gospel. And so you won't have many spiritual fathers. You only have one spiritual father. And so, although there are many people that instruct others in the ways of Christ, the one who has initially given that person the gospel is the one who has a special attraction to that person. There's nothing better that you can feel as a Christian than to know that you have been a spiritual father to someone else. So here's something that aspiring ministers do. They desire to reproduce themselves and they become spiritual fathers. Now, the third thing that we notice that Paul talks about here is that we ought to get into the ministry of testimony. And Paul makes a statement in verse number 16 that would scare most Christians. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 
If you've attended Wednesday night studies where we're going through the book of Ephesians, you may recognize that Paul used this word in Ephesians chapter 5. He said to be followers. And followers is a word that comes from a word that means mimic. It means to be an imitator. And so the question is for us as Christians, can you tell someone as a Christian that it would be all right for them to imitate you? And could you tell a person that if you'll just act like me, if you'll just do what I do, follow my example, then you'll be acting like Christ? Well, we look at Paul's statement and we say, well, what a statement is this? How proud and arrogant Paul must be to to make a statement like this. Why doesn't Paul say, imitate Christ? He says, imitate me. Why doesn't he say, imitate Christ? And this isn't by any means the first time that he said that you think something like this. In Philippians 3.17, he said, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. In Philippians 4, verse 9, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. This is something that Paul often did. He set himself up as an example to follow. And so he says, imitate me. He didn't say imitate Christ. He said, imitate me. Well, does that mean that Paul is boasting? And does he think that he presents a better, a better example than even Christ himself would present? Well, of course not. That's not what Paul is saying. Lots of times I've talked about the imitation of Christ, and there are simply things that we can't do that Christ did. There are lots of things Christ did that you as a Christian, you will never be able to do. You can't imitate Christ in all ways. I've tried walking on water. It doesn't work. I can't do that. I'm more likely to put a demon into somebody than I am to cast one out. So I can't do what Jesus did. Now, Paul has a very good reason here to say, imitate me. He was a follower of Christ. He had something that these Corinthians did not have. Now, he had spoken audibly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the story how Paul was on the road to Damascus? And although we don't know if Christ or if Paul ever met Christ personally, I mean, in the flesh and one-on-one spoke to him, most likely he didn't. But he did meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus spoke to him in an audible voice, and he called Paul into his ministry. That's something that the Corinthians didn't have. Paul also had close fellowship with apostles who had been with Christ. And so he learned a lot of things about Christ in that way. Thirdly, Paul was also given inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so that's another reason why he could say, imitate me, because he had had a relationship that the Corinthians didn't have in this particular way. Now, I can tell you that you need to be like Christ and you need to live like Christ because I can pick up the Bible and I can take you to things like the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I can show you there things that Jesus did and things that Jesus said. We can observe the life of Christ that way. We can look at the epistles and what the apostles had to say about Jesus in those letters that they wrote to churches. We can go to the book of Revelation And we see a completely different picture of Jesus there, a different one than the ones we see in the Gospels. And so we learn all kinds of things about Jesus through reading the Word of God. But this is the one thing that the Corinthians did not have. They didn't have the Word of God. 
They didn't have all of these gospel accounts that we have. Those hadn't been written yet. They didn't have the epistles that Paul and others wrote. And in fact, they were reading one of the epistles right at this time that we're, that we're talking about here. They didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't know anything about that. And so what Paul was doing is that he was giving them a picture of Jesus Christ through his life. Paul couldn't just say to them, imitate Christ. They knew nothing at all about Christ. They couldn't read anything about Christ. And so what they had to do, they had to look at the example that Paul lived before them. So Paul could not come to them and say, well, you need to imitate Christ and be like him. And yet they see some totally different picture from what Paul is talking about in his own personal life. So Paul was the book that they were reading. They have no Bible. They're reading Paul. What's our personal application? You are the book that people read about Christ. You see, you can forget about taking anybody to the pages of the Bible and say, look here, this is what Jesus did if your own life does not exemplify Christ. If you are a depressed person, a mean mouth, ill-tempered person, why would anyone ever want to bother having the same thing that you have if that is what represents Christ? You can't take them to the Bible because people are looking at your life to see how you live, to see what you're going to do, and that's the book that they read about Jesus Christ. Now, here's the wonderful thing about Christianity that makes us so different so that people do see something different in us. We can live in a sin-cursed world. We can have problems. We can have deaths in our families. We can have loved ones in the hospital. We can have all kinds of problems. And yet a Christian can be blessed. He can be happy. He can be joyful in his life. He can praise God through all of those things. And we show it in the way that we live our lives for Christ. Well, the world can't see that. They don't see Christ in that way. They don't have that relationship with them. And so they have to look at your life to see what you are. And then they'll desire to have that by your good testimony. Now, one of the things that the world does, where you work, places that, and people that you associate with, you'll find this to be true all of the time, is that the world is waiting to pin on you the name of hypocrite. They're looking at your life, and they just can't wait until you step the wrong way so they can call you a hypocrite. Now, they can be the worst hypocrite that ever lived. That doesn't matter. They're not going to cut you any slack in your Christian life. And so the question here for every one of us, can we provide a good example for others to follow? Well, Paul could say this with meaning. He knew what he was saved from. Do you remember he said that I am the chief of sinners? By his own admission, he said, I I was the very worst of all sinners. He said, I persecuted the church. I injured God's people. He said, I was a terrible person, the chief of sinners. But then something happened to Paul. He met Christ. His whole life was changed. And even though Paul had his own struggles, certainly he did, I mean, he was just a Christian like the rest of us. He, he still had his struggles, and yet he maintained consistency in his life and a consistent walk with the Savior. So a ministry of testimony is one that provides a good example for others to follow. Now, one thing I like about the Apostle Paul, he was always very careful about his choice of words. I believe that when Paul wrote things, I mean, he never spoke an idle word. 
I don't think that we read superfluous words in the Bible that Paul wrote. Not in any place, really. But, but Paul was one who very carefully chose his words. He knew the value of putting mental pictures into people's minds. Someone said a picture is worth a thousand words. Paul knew that. And so he used examples in his preaching. He talked about how the Christian life was like running a race. And everybody could get that mental picture in their mind of running a race. He talked about being in the Christian life is like fighting a battle. And we know that we fight against Satan. We've got to arm ourselves with the, with the armor that God provides. He said that being in the Christian life is like being a soldier. And so he presented these mental pictures for people. So he knew that a picture was worth a thousand words. But he also knew this, as another person said, a picture may be worth a thousand words, but an example is worth a thousand pictures. And so Paul wanted to be an example. Did you know this? That the shortest route that any person takes to the Lord Jesus Christ and the shortest route that any person takes away from the Lord Jesus Christ goes right through you. The shortest way that they can find themselves to Christ is through you. And the fastest way that they can be led away from Christ is right through you. It all depends on what kind of example or testimony that you have. Now, we notice here also that Paul had a contemporary, one that he had some confidence in. There was a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And he said, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And Timothy can remind you of the way that I have lived And Timothy in his own life produced a good testimony. So he says in verse number 17, For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And that leads me to the fourth pastoral tidbit for this passage. Number four is get into the ministry of mentoring. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. I remember that Hazel once told me that uh, Jason was my Timothy. Now, she probably saw him acting pretty strangely and said, that guy acts like the pastor a lot. But she said, "Uh, Jason, I think, is your Timothy. Well, I want you to think for a moment about people in your life that have had the most profound effect on you. Obviously, Paul had a lot of influence in these people's lives because if he didn't, He wouldn't have been able to write what some people consider to be a very scathing rebuke of them. I mean, if he didn't have some connection with them, if they didn't respect him very well, if he wasn't an influence on them, they would have taken the letter that Paul wrote here. They would have watered up and threw it in the trash can. None of us would ever heard of this letter before. But they had some affection for Paul. They respected him because he was a mentor to them. He was a mentor to them just like he was to Timothy. Now, think for a moment, though, about people who've had the most impact on your life. If you ask me, who had the most impact on you? You might think that it would be very trite for me to say that my father had the most impact on me. It might be trite, but that's absolutely true. My father had the most impact on my life. Most of you know my testimony. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, The very first place that I was taken when I was born was to church. The very first public place I was ever taken was to church. My dad pastored churches in in Kentucky for over 40 years. 
And so I had a lot of not only normal fatherly advice and mentoring from him in physical things and emotional things, but I also had a lot of spiritual mentoring from my father. If you ask me, well, where did you get those strange ideas of doctrine that you have? Well, I would tell you they came from my father. I mean, mostly the things that I believe I received from my father. So I'm sort of a protege of my father. That's where I get my doctrinal viewpoints. So my dad was a very good example for me. When you heard my dad preach, you you would sit under his preaching and almost every sermon was like being in a seminary class. That's the kind of preacher that he was. He was deep, theological in the word of God. And as my dad became older, uh, I had more opportunities probably than most people do to have to spend with their, with their fathers uh, after you get married. But my dad would I, and I would often do things like take vacations together. We would just get in the car and for a couple of weeks, we would just drive all over the country. From that experience, I learned to, to get in a car and I can sit for 12 or 18 hours at a time and drive and it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, you ask my wife, I mean, our vacations are sometimes an exercise in endurance because we just drive, drive, drive. So my dad and I, Larry knows that too, but my dad and I, we would get in the car, we'd drive for hours and hours and hours. Once we drove from Lexington, Kentucky to Houston, Texas, 1,100 miles we drove to the southwest. We got to Houston, stayed two hours and said, you know, let's go to South Carolina. So we took off across the country a 1,000 miles to the east to get to South Carolina and then 600 miles back to the west again to get to Kentucky. And during all of that time that we sat in the car, I was getting a lot of spiritual one-on-one tutoring in things of the Bible. That's the kind of man that my father was. When we talked, uh, lots of, almost always our conversations went to the Word of God and we discussed things about God's Word. So he had a great impact on my life. Well, this idea of spiritual mentoring or being a mentor of any kind is really an ancient idea. Sometimes we call that apprenticeship. And that's where a person uh, takes someone underneath their wing, they teach them their trade, and so forth. Now, Moses, for instance, when he was called to, before he was called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, he went into Midian for 40 years. And Jethro, his father-in-law, became Moses' spiritual mentor. Then when Moses led Israel out of the promised land, or to the promised land, as they were going through the wilderness, Moses took Joshua under his wing, and he began to train Joshua for the experience that he would have later of actually taking the people into the land. So Moses provided a good example for Joshua. My father provided a good example for me. And that's what we need to do. We need to provide a good example. All of us need to do that. But at the same time that we're providing examples for others, we need to take some time to do some mentoring of baby Christians. You see what you can't do? You can't go out there and reproduce yourself and make new Christians and make spiritual babies and then just leave those babies alone and have nothing more to do with them. You don't have a baby born into this world and you just turn it loose and let that baby fend for itself. If you don't, that baby's not going to last very long. And the same thing is true of Christian people as spiritual babies. You can't leave them alone. And so when you win someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, the thing for you to do is spend some time being that person's spiritual mentor. Now, look what happened here at the church at Corinth. Here we are, four or five years after these people were saved and after Paul left the church, 
And now these people who have been Christians for five years, they're still spiritual babies. Paul had to write to them, and he had to do some more mentoring. He did the very best that he could, mentoring from a long distance, but he had other churches to establish and other people to deal with and more spiritual babies to make. And so he had to send Timothy to these people to continue the education process. Well, what I'm saying to you as ministers of Christ, everyone in here being a minister, you need to reach a level of spiritual maturity in your life that you can become a spiritual mentor to someone else. You need to reach that level where you know enough about the Word of God that you can help someone else who's a spiritual baby. Now, let's make a personal application for this. Exercise parental concern. As a spiritual mentor, exercise parental concern. Now, if God has used you in some way to lead a person to Christ, don't turn that person loose. Spend some time helping them grow in their Christian life. But you might be here today and... Maybe you haven't been blessed in that way, or you can't say, well, there's another person in my church that I personally led to Christ. Well, still, what you can do, you can pick out a person who needs some help, a child, a teenager, an adult, whoever it might be, and become a spiritual mentor to that person. Check up on people. Help them out. You see a struggling Christian, be their mentor. And so I encourage Sunday school teachers and pioneer club workers and and children's church workers and really every person in this church, be aware of this. Do you know that there are people who bring their kids to church and they drop them off at the door and they put them into our spiritual care? And these young people don't have any help from home. They don't have a, a mother and father who may be saved and they're not interested in their spiritual education They just dropped them off the church. Well, here's what we need to do. We need to take some time to be friends with children and teenagers. And as as I said, even adults that are baby Christians and need a stronger Christian to guide them. What we all need to understand is that we are all spiritual ministers. Now, the pastor cannot spend time with every single person, extended periods of time at least. The pastor can't do that. And so everybody has to get into this ministry. Now, let me give you one last thought before I close the message today. Look at verse number 18. He says, Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love? and in the spirit of meekness. Here's your last thought for today. Accept, accept correction and learn from it. Accept correction and learn from it. Now, I suppose that there were some people in the Corinthian church that they heard these uh, words of Paul and these were the big shots of the church and they read the letter and they heard the letter and they thought, well, who does he think that he is? Who does Paul think he is? I mean, telling me what to do. We're not afraid of him. I mean, after all, his bark is worse than his bite. And Paul said, I'm coming. And when I come to you, I'm going to judge the power of your church. He says, the kingdom of God is not, not just talk. The kingdom of God has a demonstration of power. Now, understand what these people were doing. They talked about their spiritual gifts. They thought that they were spiritual people, but they were just talkers. And that's all that they were. 
There wasn't any demonstration of power. And so there weren't lives that were being changed. And this is what the gospel of Christ really does to a person. There is a demonstration of power. The gospel of Christ changes people's lives. There will be a difference. So Paul is the apostle, the one sent. And that's what apostle means. He was sent by God to deal with this church. He had the power to do it. Sometimes it gets a little bit scary what Paul did. We're going to read next week in chapter 5. And we're going to see there that Paul made a statement. He says, I've delivered some over to the Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And did you know that there were some members in the church at Corinth who would not repent? And so they died because of it. Paul was the one to come to tell them, you need to repent. You need to get back with God. You need to get right. So you see, when a pastor gets up to preach and the subject becomes people's sins... And when we talk about things that that people are doing wrongly that need to be done rightly, and a preacher preaches to correct, it's not out of spite. It's not out of anger. It's not out of malice. It's not an attack upon anyone. It's in order to get you to turn around so that you can receive God's blessings again. Next week, we're going to deal with a very tough subject. In fact, it's one that many preachers, when they come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they just skip over it and go on to the next chapter because they don't want to deal with it. Well, we're going to deal with it. It's a hard thing to deal with. But the message here, folks, is all about you being a minister. Do you really have the power of God in your life? Are you a growing Christian? Can you say that if somebody will just follow me, if you follow my testimony, then you'll be doing what Christ did? Do you have that kind of testimony? Have you spiritually grown enough that you can be a mentor to someone, that you can actually guide them in greater ways in their faith in Jesus Christ? That's what God has called us all to be. He wants every member of Berean Baptist Church to be a minister and a spiritual mentor for struggling Christians. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we come to you in this time of invitation today, we thank you, Lord, for the strength and the courage and the will that you give us to do what you'd have us to do. I ask you, Lord, that you might speak to Christians' hearts today. And if there's some Christian here today who says, I've not been what I should be. I'm not an example that people can follow. I'm not a person who could lead someone to Christ. And I'm not someone who is a, a spiritual mentor for others. I just pray, Lord, you might touch that person's heart today. Make them recognize they are a minister And people are reading their lives. Would you speak to hearts today? And Lord, I also pray for someone here who may not know you as Savior. Lord, speak to their hearts. Open their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May they realize today that Jesus died to save us from our sins. And may they put their faith in you. Bless in this invitation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.